$7.4 billion, the two-year tax revenue shortfall for the city of New York revealed when Mayor Bill de Blasio released the executive budget for fiscal year 2021 last month. In January, the mayor had presented a preliminary proposal with a budget balance for both the current year, fiscal year 2020, and the upcoming year, fiscal year 2021. Back then, the assumption was the economy was going to continue growing steadily. The pandemic and resulting recession opened gaping holes in budgets for both years, forcing the Office of Management and Budget to plug the gaps in the midst of rapidly evolving public health and economic circumstances. How'd they do it? The short answer, a combination of federal aid, reserves, and some spending cuts. But big challenges loom. In this episode, you'll learn the details directly from the budget director herself, Melanie Hartzog. Welcome to What's the Data Point, a joint public policy podcast of the Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles of the CBC. This is our return to the podcast after a three-month hiatus. This is an incredibly difficult time for our state and particularly our city. We've watched the march of this virus assault our family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues. It's ravaged communities like Corona and Elmhurst in my home borough of Queens and threatened the survival of small businesses in every corridor of the city. Millions of New Yorkers find themselves unemployed. It is an unprecedented crisis. But this is New York City, and we've faced unprecedented crises before. In the 1970s, New York City almost went bankrupt, something unthinkable at the time. In 2001, we suffered a terrorist attack on a scale so large, it was utterly unfathomable. Like now, many declared our city would be unable to keep residents and business and attract visitors. Yet our city has withstood these and countless other challenges and been able to thrive in their wake. Let's not take our continued prosperity for granted, but let's be confident we can plan and transform our city and government to make it stronger. And speaking of not taking things for granted, on behalf of CBC and Gotham Gazette, we thank all our healthcare workers, emergency responders, and all essential workers for all they've done for our city and all they continue to do on a daily basis. We salute you. Now to turn to the focus of our episode. CBC has shifted to virtual programming, and what we bring you today is a conversation between OMB Budget Director Melanie Hartzog and CBC President Andrew Ryan that occurred over Zoom last week. The Budget Director discusses the strategy for balancing the budget and the challenges and risks that loom. We'll have another episode focused on crisis budgeting next week, and then Ben and I will be back with more of the conversations that you're used to and hopefully have missed. Stay safe, everyone. So with that, I want to turn to Mel to open it up, if you could, with the big picture. Jamie, set the stage on the challenges facing the city um, health-wise, economically, budgetarily. In um, January, the mayor released uh, what you prepared as a preliminary budget, and the world changed by that by the time you released the executive budget a few weeks ago. Could you give us a little sense of your sense of the background, what's happening, and how you went around preparing that budget and your approach to this? Sure. I, before I start, I, I just want to um, thank Jamie for that uh, warm introduction. Um, and uh, thank you, Andrew, and thank you to CBC and the trustees. I think this organization, I've said this many of times, plays an extremely important role um, here in New York City and for that matter for New York State and appreciate all that you have to offer um, 
and also pushing us as a city to really be thinking critically about our finances. Uh, and speaking of the city's finances, um, you are absolutely right, Andrew. We went from a world in prelim um, to very rapidly over the course of weeks uh, changing environment. Um, starting in March, the economy essentially in response to the pandemic shut down um, in not just New York City, but across the state and across the country. And what we experienced was a significant revenue loss. And obviously, um, in fact, the unemployment uh, figures just came out nationally. Um, and we're at, I uh, just got this text to me, 14.7% unemployment rate, um, extremely high. Well, let me first start off by talking a little bit about the immediate steps that we took. Um, and then I can talk about uh, the executive budget um, overall. So the first thing that we did starting in March when we um, saw the economy shut down was essentially pivot to concern about our cash position. Um, we worked closely and I wanna thank the controller for really working with us on looking at contracts that we had that were going to register um, for major capital projects um, that we made tough decisions to pull back um, especially on some of our bigger projects, as we all know, once those contracts go um, to register and they liquidate quickly, and that's a lot of cash going out the door. Um, and so we worked very hard to ensure, starting in the beginning of March, that we had a strong cash position. Um, and to rule out um, at, this, at that point in time, and now today, um, the idea of short-term borrowing um, to deal with our cash balance. So I think unlike uh, many other places in uh, cities, municipalities, who've, states who've taken advantage of the Fed Reserve for short-term borrowing, that is not um, what the city had to do. And I think that's thanks to um, my team and to the controllers, I said, around ensuring that we had a strong cash balance. And then we worked with the agencies around making tough decisions around their contracts um, and making sure that they were actually mindful of cash going out the door as well. Um, so what does the bigger picture look like? Um, at the time, we made the decision to move the executive budget out quickly. I know there are many questions about us going to the market. Um, that was one of the reasons why we did that, um, which was so that we could, again, think about our cash position and uh, making sure that we can go to the market as soon as possible. Um, I know there's another question about that. I'll get to that in a minute. But overall, we faced an $8.7 billion gap between fiscal years 20 and 21. $7.4 billion was a loss in tax revenues. Um, when we think about where we were, if our economic forecast, we were looking at a pretty significant contraction of GDP um, in the second uh, quarter of the calendar year we do not anticipate it bouncing back as part of our executive budget forecast till the third quarter of 2020 and not recovering until 21. Um, at the time, we estimated about 560,000 job loss. As I said, the U.S. employment numbers came out today. And uh, as of yesterday, New York State uh, unemployment claims for New York City came out and they are 831,000 since March 14th. That's a steeper uh, contraction of the labor market than we forecast. So obviously that has implications for our adopted budget forecasts, um, particularly in terms of personal income tax and sales tax. But going back to the executive budget, um, as I said, it was a $7.4 billion tax revenue loss, $800 million in state budget cuts and cost shifts. And we took three immediate actions. 
The first is we've worked aggressively with the city agencies um, to come to a $2.7 billion savings plan. $2 billion of that was part of a PEG program. Um, that, when you look cumulative across November and prelim, is over $3 billion in savings. It's the largest savings program we've had in this administration, cumulative across uh, the plans thus far. Um, and I anticipate moving into adoption, we will have another savings plan. We set that precedent thanks to the speaker um, and the leadership of the council for last adoption with a savings plan. I think we'll come in with a strong savings plan for June. And then we did um, exactly what the reserves are there for, which is in the middle of a pandemic, um, unanticipated. We uh, drew down our reserves, $4 billion, and then we had $2 billion in federal stimulus funds. Um, and so that is the three actions that we took to close the gap. And I think that overall, our strategy is the same as it has been since the beginning of this administration. Our reserve levels are high at $6 billion. I think, again, I want to thank the speaker for that and working in partnership with us to do that. Even in good times, economic times, we put away uh, funding in the reserves. We have cautious revenue estimates and continue to have that um, and our savings plans. So the three strategies that we've used and we'll continue to use moving forward. Thanks, Mel. That's a um, good lay of the land and also reminds us of how much uncertainty there is since, you know, just in weeks, the forecasts have changed. So let's, before getting into balancing the budget, if, if I could, um, let's talk about the risks to the budget because you identified mm -hmm. some. There is the economic risk. You have a deep V with recovery starting at the end of this calendar year. There's the state budget, as Jamie outlined, as you outlined, there's um, cuts already in there, but the enacted budget report, which came out after your executive um, budget, showed potential local aid cuts for $8 billion. Mm -hmm. There is the um, federal aid, which thus far, my understanding is it's taking care of funding the response, but there's a question going forward. People have talked about both the 25% FEMA match, the housing homeless and hotels, you know, there are other issues there. And then finally, the property tax is really the stabilizing lifeblood of, of um, the city budget, going up the way it's structured in good times and, and bad, but with pressures on individual property owners, um, pressures on people paying rent, calls for rent strikes, there might be more pressure on property owners um, bank accounts, balance sheets, which could put a risk on property tax. So as you look at the economy, the federal budget, the state budget, property tax revenues, how do you rank those risks? What are you most concerned about and how would you address them? So I think the biggest concern that we have, and the mayor has been very vocal about this and very active in working with um, not only congressional leaders, but with other mayors um, across the country, which is that we need more in federal stimulus. There is no ability for any state or locality to simply cut their way out of this challenge. It is a unique challenge. As you've said, it is not um, the Great Recession. We were already in a recession and um, we were reducing spending. It is unique in that we are in the middle of a pandemic and our expenses related to that pandemic are large. Um, and so the first uh, call to action is really for additional federal stimulus. And I think we have hopeful signs that that is coming. I think the second biggest uh, risk that I see is in fact from the state. Um, they in fact did announce about $8 billion in cuts to localities. Um, that is of great concern. Uh, we should be hearing more about what that means 
for localities, obviously New York City being the biggest one. Um, and the biggest risk there, I think, is state aid, education aid and obviously Medicaid. Um, and we've had many, as you know, before the pandemic, uh, challenges with the state on Medicaid spending. Um, so those are the, the two risks. And obviously, we talked a little bit, I talked a little bit about where the economy is going and when we can um, expect to restart um, the economy, which is very contingent on where we are with the pandemic and really bending the curve. We've seen those numbers start to go down and transmission rates go down, um, and, but they have to stabilize and beyond 14 days. Uh, and there's a whole recovery council and a number of sector advisory councils that the mayor's established to really think about restarting the economy. Um, but those I think are the biggest uh, risks that I see. And I think in terms of action to be taken, it is, again, the strategy that we put in place that we'll continue to do. We've got to do another aggressive savings plan. Um, I think the speaker has very much been a partner with us in that. Um, at my hearing earlier this week, I can't remember which day, it's like the days just when you work every day, uh, they just all blend into one, but was very supportive and understanding about the economic backdrop that the city is facing and wants to work in partnership with us around that. And again, we've established a very good relationship in that we had a savings at the last adopted budget um, and we anticipate working with them again on that. But it has got to be the same strategy of savings. We need more from the federal stimulus and we have to push back on uh, cuts and cost shifts from the state. And I think we have many partners in that effort um, to, to help with that. So just quickly, um, the state came out with a $60 billion federal ask. Is there a number for the city that you've put forward? The mayor has been very uh, strong about the position of we've had a revenue loss of $7.4 billion and that the stimulus needs to make up for that revenue loss. And is that in addition to funding um, new spending that's required for mitigation and response? Or is that yes, just the whole Yes, that is in addition to the funding. And, and that's a good uh, point, Andrew. And it's on top of the um, ask around 100% FEMA reimbursement. Under, understood. And so I raised the specter of property tax delinquencies and you haven't brought it back up not to make it an issue when, when you haven't, but at this point, are you not seeing concern? Are you not feeling concerned about that? And is there anything that the administration is doing with property owners to um, help them and assure them of stability that they will need? We, we did in our forecast um, actually um, anticipate about a $200 million uh, loss in fiscal year 21 based on delinquencies. We have a number of uh, programs that we put in place about a year ago to help property tax owners. And we're having conversations with the council around um, when in fact the property owners are delinquent on payments, the interest rates on those, and what are some of the options and levers we can do there to ease that burden. Thank you, thank you. So you raised, um, you know, spending, uh, you know, savings program spending control, it's a critical component. We, as I, I will say that, um, the executive budget did not raise taxes and did not, um, as you mentioned, short-term borrowing or even talk about long-term borrowing, which is right. And you're looking at the savings side, which um, we agree with. And I appreciate that it ha was the largest savings program that this administration, as you said, has put forward. We, of course, think it should roughly be twice the size we had talked about. You know, when we were talking about this before, we saw the bottom fall out. And I think that you're 
the mayor earlier this week talked about it. You talked about it earlier. I think it was Wednesday, your council hearing. Um, I, I could be wrong. Uh, but you talked about that the other day as, as well. We think it should be twice a, as large. And what are the actions that you can take to reduce spending? What is your approach? How much do you think you can really get out? And, and how do you stage that? Well, I think, you know, it, we, we never stop working on savings plans and, and thinking about what we need to do. And I want to thank my entire staff who are working remotely, working very hard um, and have been over the course of the executive budget and now through adoption and beyond to think about what our savings ideas are. And, you know, I think this is a, a unique time where we've made some really tough decisions. So, Things like, you know, that are priorities for the administration, expansion of 3K. We've made a decision to postpone that expansion. Um, we've made significant cuts on education. Um, we've taken down headcount even further. Um, close to 3,000 positions have come down, and we have a very strict hiring freeze in place um, that is only allowed uh, hires for COVID-related and health and safety. Um, we've uh, essentially slipped a police class. Um, and so we've made some tough decisions and there's more tough decisions in that vein to come. And yes, no, I, I know this is um, an approach and this is turning a battleship um, around as the savings plans have not had to be as aggressive as they would have to be if we weren't living off of an economy that did wonderfully for the city and the tax structure, very elastic, you know, for the last 10 years. And now this is a, a tough challenge because eliminating the expansion of 3K is one step. Reducing um, city uh, government size is another. We've talked a lot over time about headcount. Uh, you know, we have 33,000 more full-time equivalent um, staff than we did during the trough of the last recession. I think actually I started to think a little more about the peak before the last recession, what happened at that time trying to look between the peak in 2008 and the trough a couple of years later, city full-time equivalent employment went down 17,000 positions, including 5,000 pedagogical positions, 3,500 uniform, the rest um, civilian. How, would you, how are you going to approach, what kind of shrinkage do you see over the next couple of years in the city headcount? Well, I think, you know, when we've talked about this, the mayor has been very clear that the first step is we need the additional stimulus. I think in terms of overall labor, there are a number of different levers that we can put in place. And I know that the first deputy mayor, Dean Coulihan, um, has been in conversations and our commissioner um, for labor, Renee Campion, with the various labor uh, unions about what are some of those levers that we can put in place. I think there's more to come on that front. But I think, you know, starting off with essentially that the first answer is to um, significantly shrink um, with in terms of layoffs is not the first step. Yes, uh, my understanding, and it changes during times of the economy, you have seven, eight, nine thousand um, people leave city service every year. So attrition is favored by all since it has less dislocation. It usually doesn't come exactly where you want it. As we've both been deputy commissioners and lived through this, um, you know, doing it on the ground, it's not exactly where you want it. But of course, there's not just shrinkage. There are work rules. The Citizens Budget Commission has talked about retiree health benefits. You did a very, in this administration, an aggressive healthcare cost reduction pr program, working with Emblem, who is the pr provider um, in partnership. Are you looking at those types of options, retiree health benefits, 
healthcare costs, union welfare fund consolidation, those kind of things that don't require shrinkage, but still can provide significant resources to close the gap. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that, you know, look, this, this, you and I've had this conversation several times. Um, and there's, this is, there's a perfect opportunity here to start thinking about some of the tougher choices that we'll have to make. Um, and that this is a, a good time to make those choices and that they have long term effects, obviously, for the stability of the budget. Um, so those are definitely conversations that we're going to be having moving forward. And we've been thinking a lot about tough choices before we move off of, of how we balance the budget. Tax increases and, and long-term borrowing. Is there a point if you look forward and depending on the federal stimulus you've done, savings, do you look for, forward to a point where that might be um, your option and how do you think about that point? Um, I think, first of all, on the tax increase front, you know, the, the numbers that have come out from New York City um, in terms of the unemployment claims are tremendous. So when you're talking about 831,000 um, claims since March 14th, thinking about raising taxes is not the right decision at this point in time um, on, right, it's just a massive amount of, of individuals who are, you know, claiming uninsurance, um, unemployment benefits. Uh, you know, I think on the long-term borrowing, look, the first answer has to be additional federal stimulus funding. We have to continue on with our aggressive savings plans. That has to be the first two options. And we have to push back on state budget cuts and cost shifts. That's not, the answer is not to simply balance the state budget on municipalities and obviously New York City being the biggest. And then I think the, the you know, option of long-term borrowing becomes the last resort option. Thank you. Thank you. As you've said, you know, you don't get to do this alone. You have a partner with the city council speaker and the council on, on a whole. Um, and the speaker has been a proponent of reserves. Of course, you and I have talked about the fact yes. that we we're, we're be a fan of greater reserves and we all wish we had them now. But there are significant and you leverage those and we've you know, supported that even, um, you know, um, though the retiree health benefits trust is not our first view of what should be used as a rainy day fund, but we've supported that. But even in your partnership with the speaker, as you mentioned, um, um, supporting cuts, the council's budget response was all about new needs. And last year, as you said, there was a precedent for a savings program, but the budget between exec and adopted still increased spending, I think it was around 830 some odd million dollars. That obviously can't happen now. How are you going to work in partnership because there's so much demand for needs and le much less talking despite what you said. I mean, I'm not saying that didn't happen, but there's much more talking about new spending rather than the reductions that are really necessary. Well, let's uh, first, I just want to challenge that a little bit because I think the speaker and the council have been very concerned with um, the health and safety of New Yorkers in this time of the pandemic. And I think that we've worked with them around, uh, in, for example, food insecurity. Um, that was a big concern of the speaker. Um, we had our initiative around Get Food. We actually dedicated more funding, uh, disaster recovery funding for that, CDBG funding. Um, so there, there's, yes, of course, there's going to be a call for the priorities of the city council, but I do think that there's great alignment around what those priorities are as it relates to the pandemic. Um, and we're just going to have to continue to work through that from now through adoption. 
So in the social media world, there's this concept of trending, which I feel personally because depending on how many calls and emails I get about a topic, I understand what people, or at least certain people, it's a selective sample, I'm a researcher, it's a selective sample. But there has been more discussion about a financial control board and a financial control period. Just to be clear with everyone out there, because there's some uh, misunderstanding, the law no longer mandates a control period if the FCB does not certify the budget is balanced or the other four criteria, but there still can be a recommendation and still is a possibility as a set in law. Why do you think this is happening and what is your perspective on a financial control period? Sure, I think it's important to set the context of what triggers the financial control period. So, you know, one, two that come to mind for me is not paying debt service. Um, our debt service as a percentage of our tax revenue as of the executive budget stands at 11%. If you think about uh, 2010, the peak of the recession, it was 13 and a half. And at 9-11, which was 2002, uh, that era was 17%. So I think from a debt service ratio perspective, we are um, well under the peak, which is at 15%. The other is that you have an operating deficit. And currently, we do not have an operating deficit. Those are two triggers um, that I think would, uh, anyone would say, then you need to have the uh, financial control uh, board step in. And then I think, you know, the context of the 1970s is very different from where we are today. So you had a rapid population decline and you had businesses relocating. Now, obviously, we have had significant job loss and we have shut down the economy, but those are very different and these are temporary um, to the extent that we are bending the curve of the pandemic um, versus long term. So those to me are, are different circumstances than what we face now. And, you know, as a result, which is very good um, as a result of the 70s and the Financial Control Act coming into play, we now have gap accounting. So you can clearly see where we are. We have to balance our budget well in advance of the fiscal year. Our out-year gaps, while they have increased um, as of the executive budget, stand at $5 billion roughly um, each year, but those are well below the recession levels. So, and, you know, again, we have high levels of reserves. We walked into this challenge, this pandemic, with $6 billion in reserves, thanks to our partnership with the council. And we've continued to have our savings plans. So I think that we are in a much different place. Um, and we got the executive budget out in record time. I think this is only the second time that the executive budget has been released so early. And we pivoted very quickly um, with our, our savings plan over $2 billion. Yes, there's always more we can do within the baseline. I beat you to it, Andrew. Um, there's always more we can do in the baseline in terms of our savings plan, about $600 million. But I think we're in good shape as we start to chip away at the gap for next year. Are you seeing costs of borrowing or what is the concern about or potential concern about costs of borrowing increasing and potential potentially them growing, being prohibitive. People could talk about access to credit markets. Is that down the road? And is that one of the things that you are looking at seriously? Well, it's, it's definitely a concern. I mean, I think the, the feds took a good first step in um, lowering the interest rates and which helps to stabilize the muni market. I mean, clearly there's investor demand. If we look at the MTA, they plan to do about 900 million and they went out um, it's 1.3 billion. But the spreads are still high. I think there's much more that the feds can do to help. Um, and we've been calling on them. I know um, the first deputy mayor has been very actively engaged in conversations with the federals around doing that. And 
do you consider using the Fed facility? And if it went, because it's up to three years, would it violate gap accounting if it went between the years? Well, the, the, the Fed facility that we have now is for short-term liquidity, and that is not something that we are considering to do now. We're not um, in that position. I think it really speaks to the cash management strategy we put in place in early March. Um, and we wanted to get out exec uh, very quickly so that we can be able to go to the market, and we anticipate going to the market um, capital um, within the next two weeks. And... Let's and if there's any, you... if it's any proxy that there's uh, investors, obviously the MTA, uh, even with their downgrade, um, you know, was able to sell 1.3 billion. So. Yes, um, but at, at a cost, and that's the challenge. The MTA mm-hmm. is in a different situation of than course. the city, um, certainly. But we, we'll, we will look to our own MTA in state and city and see how that market is as well as across the country um, as activities proceed. So before we take some questions from our trustees, just stepping back, I know you barely get a chance to breathe these days and thinking about the next decision, but if you could step back, you've been a deputy commissioner, you've been deputy budget director, you've been budget director, and you're a budget director in the good times, which seemed to be just a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, as budgeteers, we're always waiting for the next problem. And 10 years into recovery, as you and I have discussed, when was it going to happen? We didn't see it happening in this way at this time. Um, so as you um, step back, if you can, for a second with us, and you think there will be someone sitting in that seat. It might be you in five years when the recovery is happening or your successor, your successor, successor. This administration has had long-term budget directors. Not all of them stay as long as you and Dean. Um, what advice now that you've learned um, and reflected on this, what advice would you give that person sitting in, in, in the seat um, during the next recovery? And I'll give you a second to think about that while I encourage our trustees, because we're going to turn to questions to type in your questions again, using the toolbar and the QA function. But Mel, tell us what advice you'll give to that person five years down the road, if it happens not to be you. I would say um, it is a tough sell when the economy is, uh, you know, chugging along and growth is happening. And even if growth is slowing to really push for a savings plan. And I think that that was, you know, why should agencies be saving? Why should the city be saving at a time where, you know, the economy is growing? And I think the answer is it is absolutely the best time to do that um, and to continue to chip away at the budget. Um, even when the economy is, is doing well. And I think that really um, is something that this administration has continued to do um, throughout that time and really paid off, um, so to speak, right, uh, as we've gone through this pandemic. I think the second is the reserves. Um, if you look at where things started, I want to say in the Bloomberg administration, I'll have to pull one of my little cards here, uh, at the adopted budget was just uh, $800 million in fiscal year 14. And now in partnership with the council, we've gotten to $6 billion, um, including the deposits. We've had to draw on them, of course, to balance, but into the retiree health benefit trust, that that is something to continue to push for um, and to grow um, even more. Um, most certainly, I think, yes, this is a challenging time for us to think about reserves, but I know that I most definitely, and the speaker mentioned this at the hearing, want to continue to do that. Um, and then I think the other I would say is, you know, it's the, the revenue forecast. We continue to be cautious. I do not mind getting the criticism of being conservative on our revenue forecast. It's, it's what we should be doing is conservatively forecasting our revenues. If you think about, you know, I'm always asking uh, Francesco, our uh, deputy director, who um, does a tremendous job and his team 
in the middle of this pandemic, working with all of the forecasters nationally. This is a challenge, obviously, in the middle of this pandemic. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's just you have to be conservative. You have to really um, think about where we would be if we were forecasting at the levels of some of our um, oversights um, would put our revenues at. We'd be in a much, much more challenging situation had we over forecast our revenue. And so I think being very mindful and cautious about the revenue forecast. Um, th those are my three solid strategies and I think they've worked time and time again. And I think we were able to really um, shift quickly in a matter of weeks um, to put together the executive budget and balance. Um, and we'll have to do that, you know, likely again for adoption. And I think we're well positioned to do that. So that's my, my three pillars that I continue to go to and would tell the next budget director from, you know, post me and for years to come to do that. Oh, um, and I, one other thing I'll mention, because I know, Andrew, uh, you agree with me too on this, which is we still want a rainy day fund. That is still a, a necessary action. Of course, we have the reserves. That's one tool, but we absolutely need the rainy day fund. And um, we want to continue to push for that um, in the legislature to get that done as well. That's another tool that I think I would love how, to establish in my time. <laughs> how did you know I was going right there? I will say this, and I've, you know, I've said it to you, I've said it to Dean, we've said it to people in Albany. The key to the rainy day fund, we want some control about how to, whether we want mandatory deposits and withdrawal rules in the city. We believe that in the state law, as well in the city law, we should make sure that that rainy day fund can only be used during a severe emergency or an economic recession we're going to continue to say that that should be within the state law because it would be such a tragedy to build up a fund and then say, oh, we have some really new important programs. We can invest in these. They're good. Let's use a, a billion oh, dollars I in that fund to do it. So there that should is not, not the be purpose a of a rainy day fund. It is not the purpose. So I implore you to support uh, that together. Um, I think it's hard to spend time thinking about anything else than the emergency that is now, but this is the perfect time to think about such a thing as rainy day fund. So thank you for bringing it and thank you for your partnership. Why don't I turn to some questions that have been typed in? I know you can probably see them too, but why don't I, um, the first question was, can you assure the city's bondholders that debt service will be paid as scheduled and there won't be a moratorium like in the 70s? Oh, of course. I mean, I think that's what I was referring to um, when I talked a little bit about our debt service as a percentage of our tax revenues. We currently stand at um, 11%. Um, when you think about the 2010 peak of the recession, it was at 13 and a half. And in 2002, you know, thinking about the bounce back of 9-11, it was at 17%. So that, that is something we are very, very aware of and concerned about and obviously um, have taken great strides within uh, both our immediate cash balancing and the actions that we took, as well as um, in the executive budget. Um, we did a big, and I should have mentioned this, um, we did a big capital stretch of our plan. Um, we would normally do that, but we stretched out $4 billion out of fiscal years 20 and 21. Tough decisions had to be made, um, but we did that, also mindful of where we are with the size of our capital budget in the, um, this fiscal year and for next. And I can't help but put in a plug for our school capital um, budget report we put out, I think a year and a half ago, about using administrative actions that use space better and reduce the uh, need for $2.4 billion of that capital spending. So in case your staff are looking at that, 
please, uh, I can send you a copy again of that. Another question coming in about the capital bond issuance that you mentioned coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, what is it for and do you anticipate it to allow projects that have been hold, on hold to, to restart up again? Um, this is just for our um, TFA. So this is for um, existing projects that we're going to the market for. Um, look, I think we had to make some really tough decisions about projects that we had to put on hold. So for instance, um, we made a tough decision for borough-based jails that we had to hold off on um, moving forward with that project in the current um, fiscal year. Um, we stretched out uh, school construction projects, which we normally don't do, they're normally exempt. And we had to make some tough decisions around the affordable housing program and had to stretch some of those projects. And we prioritized infrastructure projects. I mean, we have to balance the challenge of there are many priorities for our capital budget, um, but we have to keep moving forward with infrastructure projects. Um, so things that we care about that we know are really important like uh, East Coast uh, uh, resiliency, um, we have to keep moving forward with those projects. So it's a real balancing act, but for sure, infrastructure was prioritized um, at this point in time. And I think, you know, as it goes to, I think there's a question about what, at what point in time will we um, re-look at the projects that we've stretched. I think that really is uh, contingent on us thinking through where we are with the pandemic and being able to bend the curve, which is a challenge for anybody. Uh, in any, if we look at some of the cities where they have started in states reopening, um, Georgia and Texas, which is starting to see positive cases go up, um, you know, very, very challenging to think about when that happens. True, very true. Um, another question, can you give some examples of cuts that you would not do because they're short-sighted or jeopardize New York's future? Um, I think, you know, Thinking about moving immediately to a situation where we would say that, you know, layoffs are the first option um, is one in which I'd say, look, we have to think about the fact that there are a significant uh, job loss um, here and that there are many other actions that we could take in terms of uh, productivity um, within our existing workforce that it just, you know, making that the first versus the last resort. Um, that's one thing I would say. And, you know, you and I talked about this earlier, which is there are many levers that we have around hiring and the timing of those hires. We slipped, uh, as I said, a police class. Um, there's other options that we have and other tools that we can use before we um, jump to that as the first resort. And, you know, I think to the criticism that our budget has grown, we have to remember, like, this is a unique situation. It's not the 70s where we had significant um, fight out of the city. We have had significant population increase in the city. And with that, the size of the budget has grown. Most certainly, we always want to be focused, as I said, on our um, savings, and we're going to continue to do that. But there are other levers that we have in place before we um, move to that as the first option. Thank you. We also had a question about um, another question about f financing, about debt. Obviously, there's outstanding debt, and, and other times there have been refu refundings, refinancing, scoop and toss strategies. Have, are you looking at those at this point, or are they still at the back of the um, queue? Well, refundings have always been part of our um, uh, plans. And so we um, first, we're going out with our TFA. Obviously, we'll look to do a refunding as well. 
um, between now and the adopted budget. So refundings have always been part of um, what we do. Uh, you know, I think that's currently what we're looking at, the, but nothing else has been, you know, the first and foremost option on the table. And with one last question, if I may, of, of some of the CBC's greatest hits, and I appreciate, um, I appreciate very, very much that our, our trustees are interested in reading our reports. There's questions about sanitation routes, ferry subsidies and policy, and firehouses, things that we've talked about for years. Are those being considered as well? Um, the ferries is definitely being considered as ridership has uh, decreased. Um, and what are the savings that can uh, be reaped there? Um, firehouses is not on the table. I think this is a, a we're in the middle of a pandemic, um, and our first responders have been, you know, just doing a tremendous, tremendous job. So that is not on the table. And I think you know we've got to prioritize. And the mayor has been very clear about this that there are four pillars. There's food, shelter, safety, and health. And so you know, to the extent firehouses falls into our health and safety, that's not, um, not, not being considered. And one last came in, if I may, um, before I was wrapping up. Tourism is a huge driver of tax revenue employment. Yes. How are you modeling and thinking about the return to pre-COVID levels and associated revenue impacts? When can we expect a reforecast and, and, and looking at um, tourism um, specifically and what your expectation of return to pre-COVID normal is? Well, look, I, I, we are, we did not in our executive budget forecasts um, anticipate a full bounce back. And even then there was still going to be some revenue loss until fiscal year uh, 2023. Now, what I'll say is, again, any forecaster and um, we're now starting to update our uh, forecast for the June uh, update for the adopted budget, it would tell you it is extremely challenging to think about what the the role of the pandemic in the economy, I mean, it really just tracks to where we are with the pandemic. It makes it extremely challenging to think about when um, you can see tourism bounce back. Um, you know, is it just a straight look at the economy without looking at the pandemic? Those two things are very much tied. Um, I think we're going to be going into the adopted budget and we will likely have to, you know, given where we are with the unemployment claims, and the U.S. unemployment rate that just came out, you're going to have to likely see a new forecast come out. Um, but it's hard to, I think, at this point in time, project out um, what the impact is on uh, tourism just yet. But you'll, you'll be hearing from us very, very soon um, with the adopted budget. Well, we appreciate it. Um, Mel, just tying things together. There's a lot of work to be done, a lot of uncertainty. Um, I trust and hope that there are contingency plans because you don't, there, with so much uncertainty on so many fronts, something will be on the downside, most likely. And I know we've talk, talked about this and a lot rides on the federal aid. So without that, those contingencies become front and center. Um, we will keep talking. Thank you so much for joining us today and going through these details on a wide range of issues, especially during the time where you're so busy, so much rest on your shoulders, and you're making some of the decisions that will actually not only help New Yorkers today, but sustain New York tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you.